0: Welcome everyone to the Product-Led Podcast. I'm Pierce, the Community Manager for Product-Led. And today we have Andy Boyd, Senior Vice President and Product Management and Growth for AppFire. He was also uh, Director of Product Management and Growth in, with IBM Watson.
1: So Andy, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here.
0: Thank you very much. Um, We're excited to have you. So, I heard that you built a growth team and subsequently their own growth teams and are doing some light Googling just for the layperson in me. IBM Watson focuses on AI for businesses. So, how does the growth fit for product led businesses? How do things work?
1: Great question. Great question. So, by way of introduction, as you mentioned, my background, primarily was, I was part of the team that brought IBM Watson to market. And I had a variety of roles there with IBM Watson. IBM Watson was a big brand and they had products in health and analytics. And I was part of the team that brought the developer tools to market. Mm -hmm. And I had a a couple of roles leading products specifically in NLP, and then later launched the growth team for Watson in the Mm -hmm. Watson group, but then expanded and launched My team launched many other growth teams across various parts of IBM. And so as it relates to this podcast, IBM was at the time undergoing a transformation towards digital and design thinking. So we were really focused on building great products, products that delight users. While at the time we didn't say it was product-led, that was really a core part of the mission, making products that people could use and figure out how to use online. We certainly had all of our traditional sales channels, et cetera, but we're working to build products that were, in our definition, more product-led growth types of products.
0: That's quite enlightening because when you hear IBM, you wouldn't normally think they were shifting to product-led because typically, very traditional, it would be sales-led, right?
1: Yeah, yep. And to be clear, I wouldn't say Mm -hmm. that IBM has shifted lock, stock, and barrel to be (laughs) product-led, but
0: they're
1: definitely embracing a lot of those Strategies and tactics. And mm-hmm. to their credit, uh, I recently read a great article from Harvard Business Review mm-hmm. a- about their design thinking transformation. And it was awesome. And I was a part of that. And that shows oh. companies like IBM embracing that type of shift in the way that software is built and designed. And um, as it relates to me and my team forming a growth team, I think that's another example of embracing those types of shifts. Mm-hmm. And the reason I would say our team started is, as I say, if everybody's job is growth, nobody's job is growth. And uh-huh. so our team was really focused on across the board, the end-to-end developer experience, systematically improving different metrics, whether it be acquisition, activation, monthly active users, things like that. Our team was tasked to drive those metrics across the portfolio. And nice. um doing it through digital channels because it was so important to the development of the portfolio. Uh, it was important to adoption of the, of the products in the portfolio across the board.
0: I see. Oh, so I've been hearing you speaking about your team a lot. And was there like a winning formula? Because you built your own growth team and then eventually they made their own growth teams wherever they were at that point. Yeah. Going back, was there a winning formula that made this happen?
1: Yeah, this is an awesome question because I was asked this, and I still am asked this a lot. So our team, to put it in perspective, IBM is a publicly traded company, mm-hmm. and certainly there's a lot of numbers that we can't share. But with our team in the first few months, we saw tremendous growth in some of the metrics that we were focused on. Again, whether it be acquisition, activation, monthly active users, we saw great gains. And this was a pattern that we saw in multiple places that we launched these teams. And when you started to see this traction, people would get excited. They'd say, Tell me what you're doing. I'm, I'm hearing about the improvements that you're making. I'm, I'm hearing about some of the successes. What's the secret?
0: Of course, they would be. I'm, yeah. I'm curious.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what they expect to hear is some magic bullets, some very specific tactics that drove this. Like a classic <laughs> example might be. Hotmail, When they in the early days of Hotmail, uh, the team put a link that said, you know, get free email, put a link in the signature of all the emails that said, get your free email at Hotmail, which drove massive growth. And what people are expecting is when they say, tell me about what you did, they're expecting those really awesome tactics like that. But what I would always say is, if I were to show you the tactics, you'd probably be quite underwhelmed. What the real secret is, it's compounding growth, which is all about the process and the culture. Mm. It's about building a culture and a team that's focused on getting a little bit better every day. So, if if you know much about compound interest, Mm -hmm. if you were to take a metric, like let's say you're at the number one, whatever the metric is, and every day you got 1% better over the course of 365 days, You'd be 37 times higher than where you started. And that's All the magic right. of getting a little bit better every day. And so, some of the key principles to building that process and structure is a couple things. Number okay. one, it's getting the team focused on a single goal or KPI, whether it's a North Star metric, monthly active users, whatever it is, getting that cross functional team focused on a, a common goal. Number two, is that top-down, bottom-up support. Enabling teams to focus on that single metric, uh, aligning across different functions, whether it be marketing, product, customer success, even sales in certain organizations, it's aligning against that metric. That requires leadership of those functions to support that single goal. Mm -hmm. But then you got to find the team who kind of wakes up every day with a fire in their belly saying, I'm thinking about nothing else other than improving this metric. And so where you get that good top-down support, aligning their team's goals, the bottom-up people who are focused on those goals, who can drive that working together, super important.
0: So from a team leader perspective, it starts with your own mindset and then how your mindset will affect your team's performance, the mindset of every other team member, which pretty much forms the culture for that team and make sure that all those cultures are coordinated across departments regarding their mattresses or whatever. Yeah. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Said differently, the teams are going to work towards the goals that you give them. And if if one team is focused on this goal, like the marketing team is focused over here, the product team is focused over there, sales team is focused over here, Mm -hmm. the team isn't going to be moving in the same direction. And when you think about product-led growth and how really people are using products They're traversing different parts of the journey, which different Mm -hmm. teams are responsible for. If the goals are misaligned, that's going to show up in the way that the customers and the prospects use your product. So aligning the teams around common goals allows them to work in, I wouldn't say non-traditional ways, and it enables them to work in a much more collaborative way versus giving them siloed goals.
0: It's a bit more organic, united, would you say? Yeah. Okay. You were going to your next point. What was point number three?
1: Oh, uh, point number three is, I think, the key to a successful transformation from more traditional ways of working to product-led growth is a transparent, open, data-driven culture. Mm-hmm. So for example, again, if teams want to work towards the goals that you give them, and if you were working towards something simple like, we want to improve monthly active users for our product. In a lot of ways, so take marketing or a website as an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe the marketing team runs a campaign and they're targeting a group of users and that campaign isn't very successful. They bring in a bunch of prospects to the website. Nobody converts to a free trial to use the product. That's learning. Hey, we learned that this is the wrong type of user. This isn't the type of people we would go after. Or maybe the product management team would say, actually, we're targeting the right type of user. What we found is maybe the messaging is slightly wrong, or maybe the trial experience was slightly off and people tried to sign up and for other reasons they failed. Mm -hmm. Well, if you try to hide that data and push it down, oh, we ran a campaign and we don't share those results. The marketing team couldn't get better. The product team couldn't get better. So you need to treat that quote unquote failure as data. And then the team can look at their respective parts of the product and the trial and the experience and how to make that better so that everybody can be driving towards that common goal of increasing monthly active users, as an example. And so that transparent, open culture, it sounds so simple to say, but when I worked with a number of different teams, yeah, (laughs) I worked with a number of different teams that never wanted to share things that didn't work. And if you didn't know the things that didn't work, you wouldn't know the things that did work. And that that transparency is a form of data that the teams can all use to get better.
0: Yeah, true. So what's different from what you're doing back then with IBM versus what you're doing now with AppFire?
1: Yeah, another great question that I get often. Well, I remember when I started with Watson, I remember feeling like I won the lottery. Just an amazing opportunity for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. And when I started with AppFire, seeing the opportunity, meeting the people, It was the same thing. I felt like I won the lottery. I mean, different reasons, different contexts, but same feeling. Um, And hey, if uh, you're looking for a role and you're amazing, uh, (laughs) reach out to me on LinkedIn because we are hiring.
0: Uh, Okay. (laughs) Okay. Take note, guys. Audience, take note. If you're great on what you're doing, feel free to reach out to Andy on LinkedIn. I guess we'll see how things go from there.
1: (laughs) That's right. But to answer your, your question... This might be a little bit of a longer answer, but what I would say the differences are, you know, for AppFire, first and foremost, it's the amazing opportunity, rate of growth. It's super exciting. Second of all, the thing that's unique is we're in the Atlassian ecosystem, which is different. IBM, we sold our products direct to market. With AppFire, we make apps for the Atlassian ecosystem, which is super interesting. It's different than controlling your entire go-to-market, but it's a little bit different than... Probably what most people have experienced, but the other thing I would say that's different about AppFire is the people and the founders—they're just amazing. But the thing that I really want to share is, you know, a lot of times when people ask that question, "What's different?" Mm -hmm. They might ask, "What's different between Company A versus Company B?" But they tend to ask it in more of a context of a career and what should I be looking at for my next step. So rather than answering specific differences around companies. I'll answer the question more in the context of career choices. So, when you think about IBM, people tend to think that big companies are slow moving, small companies move fast, and that's what they're deciding about. And Uh I think there are some truths in those things, but I think that it's perhaps misframed. I think a better way to look at the big company and small company dynamic is more about the opportunity size and then also about. For you, the individual, the scope of impact and what you can learn. So those two things, opportunity and scope of learning and what you can do as an individual. So on the first one, on the opportunity, I think large companies, just simple math. If you're a $10 billion company and you want to grow 10%, you need to find an opportunity that's a billion dollars. That's huge. There's relatively <laughs> a smaller set of opportunities that will reach a billion dollars. So you have these yeah. really huge opportunities, but relatively a smaller set of options. When you're a smaller company, just at the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're a company that makes a million dollars a year yeah, and you want to grow 10%, that's $100,000. So you have a lot more opportunities to drive $100,000, that might actually only be landing a couple key customers. And with a a smaller company, you do have a lot of opportunities to grow, but the key is focus. So I I tend to think one of the dynamics to consider when you're thinking about large and small companies is the size of the opportunity and the thing that you want to learn about. Smaller companies, generally speaking, should still focus things that are going to end up as big opportunities, but you have a lot more things that you can choose from. So focus is really important. But at the end of the day, it really is where are the areas you want to work because large companies versus small companies have different opportunity sets. Yeah.
0: To paraphrase, basically, you have to know what you want. You have to know what you want to happen and how to get there. Because it's, I think it's one of the struggles of people and they don't really know where to start because it's definitely easy to say that I want to grow my business. Hey, come on. All businesses want that to happen. So any tips, tricks, or other than just like being focused, having that kind of culture and knowing what you want? Of course, you have to be reasonable. As he said earlier, to paraphrase it, you have to know what your options are. Be reasonable with what your company size is, what your capital is, what your opportunities are. And then that's how you could focus your teams on the metrics. Am I understanding you correctly?
1: Yeah, more or less. I think you got it right. And I think that if you think about your business or your products, about a complex system made up of the market the customers the competition your company individually you have a vast array of choices and when you're looking at your career or even when you're looking at your business and products it's finding the optimal path considering all those things to identify opportunities that you can not only win but excel and grow at and i think that's for, it, for individual career minded folks that's the question that they have to answer for themselves and i think that Again, going a little bit back to your last question, if I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about a large company versus a small company opportunity, where should I focus? I think that, again, large companies have a very large set of opportunities they can focus on, and we'll have to ignore a lot of smaller ones. Smaller companies have a a broader set of opportunities you can focus on. But I think for the individual, the benefit that you get is, is around the scope of the impact that you can make as a person and a team. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also about your ability to learn. So in a large company, there's so many variables at play. So you might pull a lever. I'm, I'm improving the product over here. I'm launching a new campaign over there. I'm changing the product experience or I'm changing pricing. In a large company, there's so many variables and the system is so complex, it's more difficult for you to understand how the tactics you're deploying are affecting that overall product. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of noise. People can be doing things in some other corner of the organization that you're not aware of that can affect your decisions that you can't really see. So it, while you have a lot of great structure and a, a lot of great people and resources and capabilities, sometimes it's harder to see the real impact of what you're doing.
0: That's where the uh, being data driven comes in,
1: right? Yes, yes, but there's variables <laughs> that you maybe uh-huh. don't understand that are affecting your data that you just don't see. I see, I see, I got yeah. you, I got and, you. Okay. But in smaller companies, there's still a lot of variables, it's a complex system, but you might have more direct control or insight on the things that you're changing. You're pulling those levers, I'm changing price, I'm changing my messaging, I'm changing parts of the experience, features in the products, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. And because there's less people in the organization is less distributed, there's probably less noise in the system, so you can more directly see how the things that you're doing affect your overall metrics. But the difference in a smaller company is, generally speaking, there's less of that overall structure, and you're probably having to build a lot more of the things that you're trying to do on your own because it doesn't exist. So if, for example, you're I implementing, I don't know, a imagine you want to align a customer success team with your products to make customers more successful when they're using your products. Large companies have those things. Smaller companies on average maybe don't have those. And so you might have to build that as part of your overall strategy. So again, that's the other side of the coin is large company versus small company, your scope of impact, understanding what you're doing in a large company you might have a smaller relative scope that you might not be able to learn as much what your tactics are doing. In a smaller company, I think you have a larger scope. You can have a bigger impact. Um, You can learn more of the effects of the things that you're doing. But probably on average, when you're doing new things, you're building them.
0: There's that some small metric that can affect a monkey wrench in the machine. Okay. I'm sure that everything that we just talked about, it's in your book. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. And that's pretty much what most people can learn when they do get your book, correct? Yeah. Or are there more? Is this just like a an appetizer, if you may? Uh,
1: great question. Well, I, I appreciate that. I did write a book on how to build a, a growth team. And a lot of these concepts are in that book. Some of these things that you and I have been discussing are not, but a lot of those core principles and ideas about how to build a growth team are are certainly listed in that book. And it's available as a free download. And I'd uh-huh. be honored if if folks would want to read it and ask questions about it. There's a lot of great lessons learned there. You should
0: join the Product web community because I think you'd be a great fit, and then you could address some of the questions on there. Because I'm sure, considering that we have nine thousand members, that at least a few people, those that are really looking for that kick to jumpstart or to fast track their business. Have already at least encountered your book, just to set ex- just to be statistically correct.
1: <laughs> I I appreciate that, and I actually am a part of the community. I think it's an awesome resource. Oh, and uh, okay. and I've also read some of the books that you mm-hmm. and your team have put out. And I think they're fantastic resources. <laughs> and in fact, I've shared them Thank with you. members, former colleagues of mine from IBM, and even mm-hmm. team members in my current role here at AppFire.
0: Thank you so much. We'll be sure to returning the goodwill. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Now there's something like hanging over my head here. What if there's a business that wants to grow and yeah okay keep things reasonable blah 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 you have to know where you want to go blah blah blah, things like that okay. What if they want to do something that's out of their comfort zone? Maybe They want to appeal to a different demographic. Maybe they want to launch a different product. Would the same principles still apply?
1: That is an awesome question. I would say absolutely yes. A lot of the same principles apply. Mm -hmm. I think there's different techniques that we haven't talked about. Traditional things like doing your market research, doing customer interviews to understand current needs, problems that customers are trying to solve what their existing solutions are, alternatives, things like that. So those are things that we haven't really discussed, but properly understanding the market and your customers and competitors Mm -hmm. are important in that regard. But once you identify a direction, using a lot of the techniques that we've been talking about, being data-driven, doing some tests Mm -hmm. and some experiments, doing some validation, those are all really important techniques that can help you essentially validate or invalidate some of your key assumptions. A book that I really like around how you might use these techniques in launching new products Mm -hmm. uh, is The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. It's a really well-known book. There's perhaps a lesser-known book, which I think takes a very practical approach to applying the same types of things, and it's called Running Lean. And essentially, Mm -hmm. it, it provides a framework and a process for if you're launching a new product, What's a data-driven way to identify those opportunities, identify the key assumptions, the riskiest assumptions, and how do you systematically validate or invalidate those on the path to ultimately launching that product and then being able to scale and grow that business? And again, a lot of those same concepts are, are part of the concepts that we've been talking about here.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, not just with what you taught, At the same time, with these fresh ideas on how to improve, uh, switching to the product-led paradigm or things that you have to consider, because even just running a family or running something as basic, you can pick something up, you can learn something from that kind of mindset. So if ever that people do have questions, what's the best way that they could reach you as an email LinkedIn or how how can they best reach you
1: absolutely for members of the community I am in the community in the slack channel I love slack (laughs) the the other best way is through LinkedIn and I think that when you promote this you can share my LinkedIn profile and if if you Mm -hmm. you're listening to the podcast Andy Boyd you can do a search and find me and uh, hopefully we can connect
0: all right Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in to the Product-Led Podcast. That was Andy Boyd. And please keep your lines open for the next podcast. Uh, See you later. Bye Bye.